presented by Pharma. Hey, good morning, Playbookers. I'm Raghu Munavalan. It's Friday. It's not every day that a sitting president uses the word Armageddon at a fundraiser. It's your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. Last night at a fundraiser in New York City, President Joe Biden issued a stark warning about the risks of nuclear war in Ukraine. Biden told donors at the home of investor James Murdoch, first time since the Cuban Missile Crisis, we have a direct threat of the use of a nuclear weapon if in fact things continue down the path they are going. I'm trying to figure out what is Russian President Vladimir Putin's off-ramp? Where does he find a way out? Where does he find himself in a position that he does not not only lose face, but lose significant power within Russia? Biden made a detour into domestic politics, but then returned to the subject that was clearly weighing on him. We have not faced the prospect of Armageddon since Kennedy and the Cuban Missile Crisis. Putin is not joking when he talks about potential use of tactical nuclear weapons or biological or chemical weapons because his military is, you might say, significantly underperforming. I don't think there's any such thing as the ability to easily use a tactical nuclear weapon and not end up with Armageddon. A bit of context from Katie Rogers and David Sanger from the New York Times. Mr. Biden's references to Armageddon were highly unusual for any American president. Since the Cuban Missile Crisis 60 years ago this month, occupants of the Oval Office have rarely spoken in such grim tones about the possible use of nuclear weapons, much less talked openly about off-ramps. A quick update on OPEC's decision to cut oil production by 2 million barrels per day. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, in a statement released Thursday evening, had this to say. What Saudi Arabia did to help Putin continue to wage his despicable, vicious war against Ukraine will long be remembered by Americans. We're looking at all the legislative tools to best deal with this appalling and deeply cynical action, including the NOPEC bill. It's the most common topic in ads for Democratic congressional candidates and their allies this cycle, abortion rights, and more specifically, the GOP's designs on a nationwide abortion ban. Inasmuch as there is a unifying Democratic message this cycle, this is it. In districts as disparate as suburban Omaha and heavily Catholic rural Texas, Dems and their allies have spent more than $25 million in broadcast TV ads depicting Republicans as extremists who would imprison doctors and force women who have been raped to carry pregnancies to term. Politico's Ali Mutnick reports this morning that Dems and their allies have spent more than $25 million in broadcast TV ads depicting Republicans as extremists who would imprison doctors and force women who have been raped to carry pregnancies to term. And that presents a conundrum for Republicans. As Ali writes, how to respond, if at all, to the Democratic ad onslaught on abortion policy, when every minute they spend discussing about abortion rights is one not used discussing about inflation and economic woes. If they don't respond, disregarding the hits lets Republicans focus on the other issues they want to be front and center in the election, but allows Democrats to make claims with no pushback. If they do respond, they risk giving in to a broader narrative set by Democrats. One other complicating factor here, Republicans have a wide variety of positions on abortion rights. That makes it harder for party strategists to offer universal advice on how to respond. Ali told Playbook last night, it wasn't initially obvious that Democrats would invest as much as they have on abortion-centered attacks. The Supreme Court's decision was seismic, but this strategy didn't materialize until after months of polling and focus groups. And Democratic Senator Mark Kelly had harsh words for his own party's immigration policies in a debate with his Republican challenger, Blake Masters, on Thursday. Well, you know, I've spent a lot of time on our southern border, and let me just say it's a mess. It's a chaos. It's crisis after crisis. 
Alan Smith and Sahil Kapoor for NBC and Phoenix had this to say. The debate, which is the candidate's first and only matchup, featured multiple heated exchanges between the two major party nominees and a third-party candidate, Libertarian Mark Victor. And during an extended exchange on abortion policy, Kelly and Sitson Masters was trying to cover up his true position on abortion. Worth noting, by way of Politico's Natalie Allison, the National Republican Senatorial Committee announced Thursday that it is adding a seven-figure investment in Arizona just weeks after the top GOP super PAC cut its advertising dollars in the state to spend elsewhere. Here's what's up in Washington today, starting with the White House. At 11.05 a.m. Eastern, President Joe Biden will depart the White House to head to Hagerstown, Maryland. There, he'll tour the Volvo Group powertrain operations, where he'll deliver remarks on the economy and 135. Afterward, Biden will depart Hagerstown to head to Wilmington, Delaware, where scheduled to arrive at 4.10. In a bit of news, Jonathan Martin will depart the New York Times later this month after a nearly decades-long run, most recently a senior political correspondent. Also a Politico alumnus, Martin is co-author of This Will Not Pass, Trump, Biden, and the Battle for America's Future. Jim Martel's playbook. I've had an incredibly rewarding 10 years at the Times, and I'm grateful to my colleagues and editors for making all the datelines and bylines such fun. Now I'm excited for a new adventure reporting on politics. All right. For more news on what's breaking in D.C. right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Playbook's editor is Mike DeBonis. Zach Stanton is Playbook's deputy editor. The executive producer and head of audio here at Politico is Jenny Ament. I'm Rogu Monovalin. Have a good weekend. We'll see you first thing Monday morning. Did you know the 340B program may be driving up costs for some patients? A new analysis finds average costs per prescription for a patient is more than 150% greater at 340B hospitals than at non-340B hospitals. That's a problem. It's time to fix the 340B program. Learn more at pharma.org slash 340B.